Good evening. Hymn number 499, Victory in Jesus. Precious. 
Hymn number 363, Let Others See Jesus in You. We have a video here. Van, do you have it? Rob, you got it? It's an IMB video in Japan. Is that a no, Rob? No video after all? I'll tell you about the IMB. Lottie Moon Christmas offering, week of prayer starts next Sunday. 
our goal is $15,000. So um, last year we collected $13,700. Our all-time record for a collection for this church, it's, it's 22.7, I believe. That's our all-time record, and that was double. It was like 23.2 or something. It's right around that 22.7, 23.2. Uh, you know, talking about 22,000, 23,000 with that. But, um, and then that was doubled in 2012. So uh, your giving to Lottie Moon goes to support the International Mission Board that funds missionaries, uh, nearly 5,000 missionaries around the world. So it's very encouraging for that. So that was the video. It was um, uh, the next Sunday. We kick off the week of prayer, and inside your bulletin insert, you will have a, a prayer week from December 1st to December 8th for di different missionaries to be able to pray for. So I wanted to uh, give you an update on that. Let me go over the next uh, three, four Sunday schedule here. Next Sunday night is night of worship. So we have the band. They're going to be playing. I believe the choir's going to be join them, joining them as well. So that's going to be up here. One week from tonight. Two, not, two weeks from tonight, Miss Sherry Osmond's team here, uh, the little drummer dude, they will be up here on the stage. So that's always exciting. We have an ice cream party downstairs afterwards, hosted by Rick Hawthorne, and that's open to everybody. Three weeks from tonight, four choirs. I believe David Dell has 80 folks going to be up on the stage from four different choirs. It's a big, uh, we will have the choir loft packed, be an outstanding concert. Four weeks from tonight is December 22nd. We do not have Sunday night schedule. Five weeks from tonight, Sherry hates it when I do this, is going to be December 29th. We do not have Sunday night schedule there after Christmas before New Year's. So the next regular Sunday night service will be, I believe that's January 6th. I believe that's the first Sunday in January. So that's the next six weeks right here on this schedule. So open your Bibles to the book of Acts. Acts chapter 9. Acts chapter 9. This here is about Saul's salvation as well as this radical transformation from a man who was known as the greatest persecutor of Christians from all the way, 180 degree turn, to the greatest missionary. Have you ever met someone who is just lost? They're hardened. They have no interest in Christianity. They are anti-God. I mean, you would just, you see them and you think this person, there's no hope for them. That would have been the story of what we're about to read right here. We have to fall under the conviction that God can completely transform anyone's life. If we put a big sign out on that sign right there that said, homosexuals welcome, what would that mean? Think about that. Homosexuals welcome. Right there on that sign, Broadway Baptist Church. Now, probably half of y'all would be calling the church saying, oh my goodness, what has happened? That boy's falling off the deep end. We've become a liberal church. But listen. God can take anyone in any sin, transform them, and make them the greatest missionary and gospel preacher to ever live. Pedophiles welcome. Would you want to bring your children or grandchildren to a church that says pedophiles welcome? Adulterers wel welcome. If you started putting, just naming sins and put them on that sign out there. But the truth is, the gospel welcomes any sin that we bring to the foot of the cross. Jesus can wash it clean with His blood. He went to the cross for that person. He loves that person. And He wants them sin saved. 
We tend, I'm, I'm preaching to myself because I'm a Pharisee. We tend to look at folks and we judge different categories of sins. We look at stuff like sins of omission or like this morning, a perfect example. Preached out Joshua chapter 9, verses 1 through 15. You know, God told the Israelites not to make a treaty and they made a treaty. Well, big deal. It's a treaty. Who cares? I mean, that's not that that's not that bad of a sin. It is. Sin takes people to hell. Sin is what sent Jesus to this cross up here. And we, as believers, we have to realize no matter what someone comes, what someone comes to church, whatever burden, whatever, whatever issues they're bringing in, Jesus Christ can change them. Because we're about to see the story of a man who was passionate about killing folks. And God changed his life. And made him converted and then gave him a commission. And he threw out what's powerful about Paul. 27% of the New Testament was written by this man. What's powerful about him is if you read his letters, he wrote 13 of them. If you read them in the Bible... He keeps talking about his Damascus Road experience. He keeps talking about his old way of life. Paul never got over his conversion. He didn't. He always remembered where he came from. Do you know what tends to happen in church life? Folks who've been in the business, who've been Christians for a long time, you, you've been here a few decades, a few years, you start to learn what's accepted and what's not, what's not accepted. And that's dangerous because what happens is you get to be calloused to what we call white lies, gossip, slander, backside, just stuff that's not, that you just let slide. And it happens all the time. And the Bible is telling us that is wrong. In fact, before we read this, turn in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Now, this won't be up on the screen. This is, this is bonus material here. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Verse 9. 1 Corinthians 6, 9. I want to read you all this. God's word says here. Don't you know that the unrighteous will not inherit God's kingdom? Paul's writing this. This is, remember, who wrote 1 Corinthians? Paul did. We're about to read about this man's conversion experience. He was lost. And he's going to get saved. We're about to read about that. But he's reminding us that unrighteous people, they don't go to heaven. They do not make the cut. So who are, these un, who, who are the unrighteous people in 2019? So here they are. Number one, do not be deceived. You know what? Remember all throughout the Bible says do not be deceived. That means we're deceived because a lot of times folks put sins in categories. They feel like, hey, I'm not that bad of a person. Yeah, I might do this or that little, little things, but I'm for the most part a good man, a good woman. No. Do not be deceived, so we can't be fooled. No sexually immoral people. Idolaters, adulterers, or males who have sex with males. No thieves, greedy people, drunkards, verbally abusive people. Do you know what a verbally abusive person is? That's a person who loses their temper and attacks other people and puts them down. Half of social media is verbally abusive people just going after other folks. It's a toxic culture. You're just criticizing people nonstop. You don't even know what you're talking about. You just make fun of them. Keep going here. Or swindlers. You know what a swindler is? Somebody's just looking any. You're sitting in church, you're not thinking about the Lord, you're thinking about a way to make a buck. What can you do tomorrow to make some money? 
That's a swindle. Any, any way you can, you can just take advantage or get something. Look at this, verse 11. They will not, or latter part of verse 10, they will, none of these people will inherit God's kingdom. And some of you used to be like this. This means this was your old way of life. This is what we're talking about. Paul keeps going back to this. His old way of life, because Paul used to be like that. But you were washed, you were sanctified, and you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. All throughout Paul's 13 letters he wrote, he keeps pounding, going back and back, his old way of life. And we have to be to a point of conviction, no matter when we see that person that has tattoos all over them, they're on the street corner dealing drugs, they're taking advantage of someone. I think I've shared this story before. About eight or nine years ago, I went out to lunch with our associational missionary, director of missions down in Georgia. And we walk out of this little restaurant there in Noonan, Georgia, and this guy drove by, and we're standing on the street, down, downtown Noonan. Have you seen those cars that bounce up and down? They have the, um, like, hydraulics in them. They just bounce, I mean, with the strobe lights, and it looks like uh, it, it came out of a rap video. I've, I've never seen this. The car was bouncing down the road. The, the, the young man had to be deaf. The music was so loud, because I was losing my hearing on the street listening to it. The whole, I mean, we had to stop our conversation because you couldn't hear it. The man's driving by, and it's, I mean, everybody knows he's there. Going right through. We stopped. And then when he, he continued, I mean, this guy, um, I mean, he looked like he came out of a gangster video. Literally. He had a, everything there. Associational missionary said, Dylan, do you know us? And I, I'm looking at this guy thinking, what on earth? What, you know, this is, it's easy to have a judgmental attitude towards folks like that. That associational missionary looked at me and says, Daniel, you don't want to know something? There's only one person who can save that man. And I didn't quite know where he was going. He says, Jesus, until that man turns with Jesus, he will never change. And he's right. When you come to Jesus, you can be so steep in, so deep into sin. You've gotten yourself so much in a mess that only the Lord can bring you out. And Paul is that person. Turn your Bible. Acts chapter 9. Here we go. Greatest conversion. One of the greatest conversions here in the Bible. 9-1. Now Saul was still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord. Do you know what that means? In, back in chapter 7, he witnessed a man named Stephen who was the very first deacon. Stephen gave his life for Jesus, the first Christian martyr. And do you know he was there approving of the death? He, he was holding everybody's coats. So they took off their coats. They didn't have nice coat racks like we do here in the back of the church. Paul had to hold the coats. He's holding their coats and encouraging them to go kill that man. That's just a cold murder. He hated Christians. And his passion is he's going to go hunt them down, stamp them out, and get rid of them. Look here. He's breathing murderous threats against the disciples of the Lord. He went to the high priest and requested letters from him to the synagogues in Damascus. So if he found any men or women who belonged to the way, that's what Christians were called in the early days. They were referred to as the way. Meaning, they have, they have, at this point in the book of Acts, they hadn't been identified as Christians. They're, they're the way. These are folks who are following this, this new New way to the Lord through Jesus. He goes on to say there, He might bring them as prisoners to Jerusalem. As he traveled and was nearing Damascus. You know, Damascus is in current day Syria. A war-torn city. When we think of Syria, we don't think of this, but he's almost, he's probably in current day Syria. He's getting close to the city. And look what happens. A light from heaven suddenly flashed around him. Falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? 
Meaning, Saul, you're, you're going after me about this. What are you doing? Who are you, Lord? Now, that phrase, Lord, there, he used that. That doesn't mean he's calling Jesus Lord. He's using it in a sense of reverence or like master or you know, someone with authority because he's speaking to them. So he has no clue what's going on. He says, I am Jesus, the one you are persecuting, he replied. But get up and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. You know, a lot of times with the Lord, what he does is he doesn't reveal to us everything he's going to do. He just makes it clear, you're to go into the city, and then you'll find out your next instruction. Then look at this. The men who were traveling with him stood speechless, hearing the sound but seeing no one. Saul got up from the ground, and though his eyes were open, he could see nothing. So they took him by the hand and led him into Damascus. So he's traveling these men, and he's blind, and they're guiding him in. He was unable to see for three days and did not eat or drink. He was blinded right here. There was a disciple in Damascus named Ananias. And the Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias, here I am, Lord, he replied. Get up and go to the street called Straight. The Lord said to him, to the house of Judas and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, since he is praying there. In a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias coming in and placing his hands on him so that he may regain his sight. So Ananias is thinking, I'm about to go to this man named Saul of Tarsus and heal him of his blindness. Do you know, if God speaks to us, a lot of times we don't want to question the Lord. But Ananias did question God right here. Look what he said. If you receive this type of vision, would you respond this way? Verse 13. Lord, Ananias answered, I have heard from many people about this man. So Paul, Saul's reputation was well known. We all knew who Saul was. Saul was the guy who's trying to kill and arrest and imprison Ananias. And, and Ananias is probably thinking, God, maybe I need to inform you of this man here that you're sending me to. Because of all the people out there, this one here, we don't need to talk to. I've heard from many people about this man, how much harm he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. As if God didn't know. And he has authority here, from the chief priests to arrest all who call in your name. So they already know Paul is there in their city to arrest them. Paul is looking. He, Saul came to Damascus for the purpose to arrest and ultimately kill and stamp out people like Ananias. And here is God sending him to Ananias. Do you know God is sending us to people here in our city just like Saul? And I believe all the time we have these type of calls in our life that we're to share the good news or to pray over or to touch someone who's maybe worse frightened of, who's different than us, that we need that, that needs to know the Lord. I'll give you a perfect example of this. Two weeks ago was the Kentucky Baptist Convention. Our church um, uh, bought eight tickets because we had, I think, eight people to go uh, to the... There was a luncheon sponsored by the Southern Seminary. So we had our eight tickets and we're walking in. Well, what happened was this was at the Malone's Event Center that Southern rented out over on Tate's Creek. 
Well, one person at the last minute, they weren't able to go. So now we have second, seven tickets, or, or seven taken tickets. So I have one extra ticket. Well, I was the last to get there, and I'm walking in, and I'm walking up. It's freezing cold outside, and there's a homeless man at that Malone's event center on Tate's Creek. There's like a Rite Aid or something next to it. And there's a man out there, and literally, I'm walking up. I've got two tickets. I've got a wasted $15 ticket. I'm walking in, and a homeless man comes up to me asking for money. And he told me he was from Pennsylvania or Florida. He was going somewhere. I wasn't going to give him money. But I said, sir, I've got an extra ticket here. Would you like to go to the Southern Seminary Banquet and have a free luncheon? He said, absolutely. I'm starving. That man took the ticket. He walked in. He sat down. They served him. Everyone there, just, I mean, he fit right in. There were a couple hundred folks there. Al Mohler, our future president of the Southern Baptist Convention, as well as the president of Southern Seminary, gave a speech. Whoever this man was, he heard the lesson about it, learned all about Southern Seminary. He probably had no clue in the world where Southern Seminary or what it is. But the point is, God doesn't waste gospel opportunities. Al Mohler talked about Jesus. They shared the gospel in that meeting. They talked about the Lord in the scriptures. That man started a conversation wanting money. He ended up getting a very nice meal at Malone's and he learned about Jesus. No conversation is a wasted conversation. Church, no one is too far from the gospel. This, or I'm sorry, verse 15. But the Lord said to him, this is how God answers our rebukes. Go, for this man is my chosen instrument. Meaning God has chosen Saul, who's going to become Paul. He's my chosen instrument. That's an interesting word there. He's an instrument, meaning he's got a greater purpose. Paul's purpose was not only to go around sharing the gospel and planting new churches and even taking the good news to Europe. But also, he wrote much of the New Testament. The words we read out of our New Testament come from Paul. A lot of it does. And you know, it's interesting when Paul, if you remember later on, we're going to get when we get to chapter 17 about the Macedonian call. Paul was there in, in current day Turkey and he wanted to go he wanted to go east towards Asia and towards India and where current day Pakistan and Iran is. But God spoke to him in a vision and called him to go west towards Italy and towards England and France and up into Europe and Macedonia, that area. We are likely believers today in the gospel. Literally, you follow Paul's missionary journey. Listen, this tracing back from this morning to the pilgrims. Paul took the gospel into Europe. The pilgrims took the gospel, listen, it's amazing, took the gospel from Europe to America. Do you ever think of the pilgrims as missionaries? When we celebrate Thanksgiving, literally, you track these men, you track Paul and his missionary endeavors going up into Europe, spreading the good news, and you track William Bradford, him sailing across to the New World there in Massachusetts, that is how Christianity, the growth of Christianity, has followed that. And then what happened? It got to America, which is the greatest missionary sending force, and everybody went out from America. We were the base that sent everyone, including our Lottie Moon Christmas offering. That supports. Do you know Southern Baptists are the largest missionary sending force in the history of the world? And the Lottie Moon Christmas offering funds it. Or it funds a lot of it. Other half's funded by the cooperative program that we give. That's how it's funded. Through our giving. To Lottie Moon and the cooperative program. It funds what started here with Paul. This salvation experience with Paul. Tracing it up to Europe. William Bradford coming to the New World. It gets to the New World. And Southern Baptists played a big part in the modern missions movement. To send it all around the world from there. Isn't that amazing? To see how the gospel has gone out. It's exciting to be a part of something like that. Paul here is the chosen instrument. 
God has chosen this man to take the good news on multiple missionary journeys. And look at this. Go, for this man is my chosen instrument, Ananias, to take my name to who? The Gentiles. That's us. Kings and the Israelites. And now look at this, verse 16. And I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Right now, Paul's making other people suffer. But there will come a time where Paul will be the one who suffers. When we suffer and we're persecuted, we identify with Paul. We identify with those pilgrims that brought the, came over here on the Mayflower for religious liberty. We identify with every other Christian martyr that's given their life for, for the gospel and the good news. One of the ways God advances the gospel is through suffering. Because what happens when you're suffering, you've given everything for the Lord. That's important because you're not holding anything back. The man who's willing to die for what he believes in and who's willing to be persecuted and who's willing to suffer, he's hard to stop. And that's who Paul was. Paul gave everything for Jesus. So this is what's happening here. God is, what's amazing about this, Ananias, this is so powerful, actually knew Paul's call before Paul did. Don't miss that. Ananias, this man who's scared to death of Paul, he knew that God was going to raise up this man named Paul before long. All Paul knows is he was blind, and let's just, God, Jesus appeared to me, and I've got scales in my eyes, and I'm to go to Damascus and pray. I have no other, no other, no other direction in his life at this point. And this other guy, you know, one of the, um, God uses us to encourage other people about their um, passion and about their call and about their ministry. Let me give you an example. This morning, um, at the 1109 service, God's really brought a lot of um, college students. I don't know if y'all who were there, did y'all notice all the college students that were in our service this morning? And I didn't know a lot of them. I re- I'm starting to recognize a couple of them. But there's a lot of, and there are a lot of girls out there, especially a lot of college, college age girls. And we have a lady in our church. She's probably in her 50s or so. And I've been watching the past, really past few months, what she does. She comes over, and a lot of folks, I want to tell you, when God, when someone's a visitor to a church, they don't want to sit by themselves. This lady goes and befriends these young girls and sits with them. Now, she doesn't know really who they are, but she makes it a a point to say, hey, can I sit with you? I'll sit near you so you don't feel alone. And it's kind of awkward coming to church with, I guess, by yourself. And you maybe don't know a lot of folks. You're just visiting. You're checking it out. And I noticed that she's literally got a little group. I mean, she's got a little ministry of these just random college girls that's coming to her 1109 service. And she's ministering to them by sitting near them in the pew. She's gotten to know their name and slowly doing this. And I came up to her. And I spoke to this lady. I'm not going to tell you her name. And I said, ma'am, that's not what I called her. I told her by her name. She says, you know, God is really, I noticed, you're doing a good job ministering to these young ladies. They're coming in by themselves and they're starting to sit in your little group. You're starting to get to know them. You know, this could really develop and grow into you ministering to these young ladies. And she says, you know, damn, my children are now grown. And I just see these young girls. They're 18, 19, 20 years old. That was me 30, 40 years ago. I was there. And I just want, I just want to be used by the Lord. I just try to think about if that was me, I would love for someone to come speak to me. And she's excited about that. Because she feels like that's how God wants to use her at 1109. Other people affirm what you're doing. Ananias is going to reveal Paul's passion to him. Sometimes it might take you going and encouraging someone else in their ministry, in their passion. It happens all the time here at our church. If you see a need, If you see an opportunity 
you don't have to wait for the nominating committee. Go do it. Say, I'm going to get to know this person. I'm going to step up and do it. And that's exactly what this lady's doing at 1109. She's getting to know college ministry. And I guarantee you, a year from now, this woman will probably be hosting all the Thursday night Bible studies that Chris does at her house because she'll know them all because they all sit with her. That is how God uses you. The Lord raised up Ananias to go affirm Paul's calling as a missionary. He's about to get saved. Keep going here in your Bible. Ananias went and entered the house. He placed his hands on him and said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the roof, on the road you were traveling, has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. No one had told Saul at this point how to be saved. This man busts in the room, put his hands on him and says, God wants you to become a believer. Lord Jesus has sent me to you so you can be filled with the Holy Spirit. That's how you share the gospel, people, right there. It is God's will for people to be saved. And look what happens. At once, something like scales fell off his eyes. So all of a sudden, he's, he's like he's a snake shedding his skin. And he regained his sight. So he got his 20-20 vision back right there. Now look what happens. You talk about, this is a conversion of conversions. Usually when someone gets saved, they walk to Al. I usually talk to them. Brother Hurd talks to them about baptism and share with them, oh, in a month or so, at our next baptism service, three, three or four, three, four weeks down the road, sometime later, we'll have a baptism service, not Paul. When those scales fell off his eyes, that man prayed over him. He was filled with the Holy Spirit. He surrendered his life to Christ. And look what he did. He got up and he didn't go. Go on the internet to make a Facebook post. He didn't go and make a phone call. He didn't start telling other people right away. The first thing he did was he got up and he was baptized immediately. He realized, I'm now a believer. I need to identify with Christ at baptism. Probably Ananias baptized him right there. Ananias went somewhere and baptized him. He was filled with the Holy Spirit. And look at this. And what's amazing about this is he was actually baptized before he ate. Usually, before you do something, you want to eat first and then do it, not Paul. It says here in verse 19, and after taking some food, he regained his strength. He was so committed to baptism, he didn't have time to wait for that. He can eat any day. He says, I'm now a believer. Jesus has appeared to me on the Damascus road. He sent this man named Ananias to confirm my call and what I'm going to do. God, where's the water at? I'm ready to receive believer's baptism. This man comes out of the gate. His conversion from the moment on, he was committed as a believer. He all of a sudden, when he, he came to Damascus to imprison and kill people, but instead he shows up and he starts preaching to the people. A 180 degree turn. If God can save Saul, he can save you. No one is too far from the gospel. We do not give up on our prayer life. We don't give up on folks. On, their only hope is Jesus. And we have to remember too, we, we need to remind, we're not the only believers. You know, it would have been easy for people like Ananias. Think about Ananias at this point. Ananias was scared because he had heard Paul was coming up the street he was here, and if he finds me, he's got permission from the chief priest in Jerusalem to, I'm going to prison. This is it. We went from being scared to death of this man to this man getting saved and baptized. 
That is how the Lord works. To now the, the man that I was scared of, he's on my team. He's doing the Lord's work. Pull out your piece of paper right here. This is your bulletin, sir. Look here. The first sign, this is the very bottom, the take home. The first sign of God at work in you. This is it. The first sign. Keep going, Rob. All the way. Keep going and going. We'll come back to that. All right. Do you have those slides? There we go. The first sign of God at work with you. Look at this. Disgusted with the church. I'm going somewhere with this. What I mean by disgusted with the, with the church is, what is, what is the church? The church is a body of believers. You and I that come to a sanctuary every Sunday, and the reason we worship on Sunday is because Jesus Christ was resurrected on Sunday. We come here to worship and honor the Lord. The church is also a mission-sending center. We go out and we leave our 3.3 acre campus here at Broadway Baptist and we have entered a mission field and we're out there telling people. And when we come here, we should have an expectation that the folks we've been praying for and we've been inviting to church and to Sunday school and to Sunday night church and to Wednesday night church, we should expect they'll come because God hears and answers prayers. When you get away with that from that, when church becomes politics, when church becomes a place of socializing, when church becomes a place of fighting, you get disgusted with it. This isn't a place of worship. Jesus was disgusted when he came to church and they were buying and selling and ripping folks off. And he goes in and says, my house will be a house of prayer. This should be a place that you should be praying for. And you've made it a den of robbers. You are robbing God of the worship. But look here. Second sign that God's starting to work in your life. You've become disgusted with yourself. Meaning God wants more for you. You look at a man like Paul. This guy was converted. He was baptized. He came out of those waters a gospel preacher. He didn't say, all right, I'm just going to go home and watch TV now and take it easy. I got my fire insurance. I got my ticket stamped to heaven. No. This man says, Lord, I'm yours. Everything I do is for you. I'm going to live the rest of my life serving God. And I want to tell you, we become disgusted with ourselves when we realize God wants more. More from you. And what that means is, God wants you to have the same type of passion, the same type of desire we see that Paul had. This man, we won't turn there, but you could do it later. In Philippians 3, 6, Paul said he was zealous, zealous for killing Christians. He was a murderer for those following Christ. And do you know what happened? That same zeal and passion that he had for sin and for murder and for stopping Christians, God took that passion and he moved it to be, doing ministry and being a soul winner, being a missionary. Whatever you are most passionate about, whether that's UK basketball, whether that's watching your 401k go up, whether that's going on trips, whether that's reading your Bible, whatever it is you're most watching TV, whatever, playing on the internet, whatever you're passionate most about. Take that zeal and put that towards the Lord. That's what Paul did. God is looking for believers who are that way. If you're not that way, if you don't have that same type of zeal and passion for Jesus, you're going to get disgusted with yourself. Then church, all of a sudden you come here and it's about a checklist of, What's this place like? Am I being fed? Am I happy? 
Are my needs being met? Do I have a good group of friends? You pick up the bulletin. Hmm, well, yeah, looks good. Or this could be improved. It's just an attitude of, I'm just going to be a spectator. Paul wasn't a spectator. Listen, this man never forgot his conversion. I was saved when I was 15. When were you saved? When did you come to know Jesus? Have you gone back, reverted to your old way of life? We do not give up on God. Last point we see here. These are the signs that God is working in your life. Third sign. You recommit to the church. Not as a Pharisee to condemn. And it's easy to condemn. You can just go down the hall and just be critical of anything in a church. But as a beggar in desperate need of grace. What that means is we have to be reminded that without the God's grace in my life, without the salvation I receive from the Lord, I am, I, I am just... I am just a lost soul. A recommitment to the church is when you say, God, I'm on mission. I'm here committed. There's a lot of people who are committed supposedly to Christ, but they're not committed to church. And there's a huge problem with that because Jesus called the church his bride. He says, this is my bride. And what happens here is Paul was a church planter. Do you know what this man did? He went into cities. He led people to Christ. He discipled those believers. He started this new church because he was committed to the church. He raised up a pastor such as Timothy in Ephesus. And then he left after a few years. And he went to a new town. And he did the same thing over and over and over again. He was committed to church planning. We have to say, God, do I have this same type of commitment? A lot of us, you get disgusted either at church or you're disgusted, you're just mad at yourself because you feel like your needs aren't being met and you never make a recommitment. Are you, if you, listen, if you're not committed to the church, you're not committed to the Lord because the Lord started the church. God wants us as a body of believers to view everything we do through the lens of reaching our city and then ultimately our world for Christ. God is asking. He's saying, you're committed. You've been converted. But now I'm going to make you commissioned. Conversion equals commission. The Damascus Road experience here for us. It's a story. We read this great story here. It's a story of triumph for every growing church. What happened is we need to remember that God Going back to this, this story, God got a hold of this man who was going to kill and he showed up there to, to save. Not only that, the Damascus Road experience up on the board here. It's an extraordinary moment of conversion. We need to be reminded that Christ can save anyone. He certainly can. A lot of us have given up on that. We need, to, we need to remind ourselves that this is, this is what Christianity is all about. You take a lost sinner, the one sheep that's run away, and you bring them back into the fold. That's what, that's what happened here to Paul. And the Damascus Road experience here, it's a turning point 
for those on the outside as well as the inside. What that means is the people on the outside were people like Paul. They were there ready to kill. Can you imagine those chief priests that gave him papers to kill people? And then instead of killing people, he became the very person he was supposed to arrest. And well, inside, think of the encouragement to have someone like, someone like Saul come to know the Lord. Such a great influencer. You know, I showed the video, and I don't, I don't listen to hip-hop music, and I'm not really in that culture, but I had heard of this man named Kanye West, and I, I think, I'm, I've never really listened to his music, but I think his music was immoral, but apparently, I showed this video, 1109, because the young man is speaking at the winter retreat conference Zach Bowers bringing him to in two months down at Strength to Stand. Well, Kanye West, apparently a few months or a year or so ago, gave his life to Christ. And now he's become an evangelist for the Lord. And what happens is, that's the type of high profile. Paul was that guy. He was the guy promoting sin and murder. And then he gets saved. And then all of a sudden, he becomes an evangelist. Paul and Kanye West have something very much in common. High profile people that have had incredible conversions that now follow and seek the Lord. That's what we're seeing, witnessing right here. And we need to recognize God is still in the saving business. Do not get over your conversion. Do you remember what it was like when you were lost? Jesus Christ saves us. We see here in this story, this man, the moment he came up from those baptism waters, he became a gospel preacher. After he ate his dinner, he regained his strength and he was grabbed his Bible and he was ready to go. Listen, if you, some of you the, tonight, if you feel stuck in your spiritual faith or your walk with Christ, if you feel like you're just going through the motions, if you just feel here we are, just another service, another sermon, another Bible study, another Thanksgiving, another day of the week. Another UK basketball game. If you feel this way, and you feel you're living in a stuck, just something, there, there's got to be more, God. Your prayer this week, your prayer tonight, needs to be, God, give me the same zeal and passion that Paul had. This man came up from those baptism waters. And he didn't skip church. He didn't look for ways to say, well, I've got my fire insurance. This man was passionate. Ask God to light a fire into you. We need it. God needs to strike the match and say, it's time to go. If he can raise up a Paul, if he can raise up a Kanye West for winter retreat, he can raise up you. Jesus, I thank you for your word. I pray that we never forget over, we never forget of our salvation experience. Lord, this Thanksgiving, it's amazing to see, to trace how men like Paul, he went all the way to the Europe with the gospel. And then 1,600 years later, a man named William Bradford picks up his 1611 KJV Bible and sails across the Atlantic Ocean for 66 days to bring the gospel to the new world to evangelize Indians with Santo being the first one coming to know the Lord. Jesus, I pray that we, right here in Lexington, will be a part of that continuation of that mission. Lord, I pray that we are a body of believers. We are a church that never lets our foot off the gas. Lord, I pray tonight's invitation. Lord, every service should have an invitation. We respond to you. I thank you for the youth group downstairs. I thank you for Awana downstairs. Lord, I just pray you bless this invitation. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We're going to close our service with a hymn of invitation. We, we give an opportunity for you to respond to what the Lord's doing in your life. You want to make a decision?
I'll be standing up. Steve's going to be leading us our music. Let's stand together and sing.